0: A to Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Go! Afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you I saw one thing coming but didn't see the other. Welcome in. We are live here on this Friday, getting you set for the Labor Day weekend. College football is back, and we have got a ton to get to, including college football picks coming up before the end of the show. Welcome in again on this Friday. Give us a follow on Twitter at Locked On A T L, of course, and at Mark Zino M A R K Z I. And then, oh, make sure you subscribe to that YouTube channel. Give the thumbs up to all the content there as well. Uh, we have to finish up our salary cap spending breakdown uh, that we started on Wednesday. So we'll do that today as well. Shovels of wisdom, of course. But let's start uh, with the one thing that uh, I, I didn't, or I'm sorry, I did see coming. And that was Spencer Strider uh, and his performance last night was just epic and um, in just his 17th career start, he breaks the Braves franchise record for strikeouts with 16. He was utterly dominant last night. Uh, eight innings, two hits, 106 pitches, and 16 strikeouts. The stash was on fire. Guys, I have been saying this for a considerable amount of time. Uh, and I have been getting pushback from a variety of different people on this. And I'm not sure that if last night doesn't convince you of what you saw, of, of what you're watching from Spencer Strider, um, then I don't know what to tell you. Like, I, I you're, you're hopeless to me at this point. The guy has the best stuff on this staff, and he should be getting the ball in game two of any playoff series, home, road, on earth, on Mars, any other planet in the universe. And I'm going to bring up a name here. And I don't know if you guys, maybe some of you watching and listening to this may be too young to understand this name. But if you go back on YouTube and you just Google Doc Gooden highlights rookie year, um, you'll see what I'm talking about. That is the level of dominance that Spencer Strider has. That's the first name that comes to mind. And I was really young when it happened, but I was, I was young. I'm old enough to have remembered the Doc Gooden era, both in a Mets uniform and out of a Mets uniform, um, when he was simply just flat out the very best pitcher in the game by a considerable margin, like even better than Roger Clemens for a short period there, 84 through 86 for Doc Gooden. Those numbers were insanity, and that's where Spencer Strider is. Um, there, there is no debating at this point that he has the best stuff on this staff. There is no debating at this point that he is right behind Max Fried for the second best pitcher on this staff. And as I've said repeatedly, and I'll say it again, because even though I said it two minutes ago, there is no debating that he should get a ball in game two of any playoff series, whether it's a three-game wild card, the five-game LDS, where they start, whatever it may be. That is the guy who gets the ball in game number two. Because if Max Freed slips up and you lose game one, that's the stopper. There's nobody else. And somebody wanted to say to me on Twitter, Oh, 17-game winner, Kyle Wright. No disrespect to the 17-game winner. He's nowhere near as dominant as Spencer Strider. It's not even close, folks. And don't try to make it close. Spencer Strider is the, is the best, second-best pitcher on this staff and is the best stuff of anybody on the staff. And right now, I think it's fair to argue, you might have the best stuff of anybody in Major League Baseball. Like, think about that for a second. Go find me another pitcher since July who has better numbers, another starting pitcher who has better, more dominant numbers than Strider. As we talked about, I think it was last week, guys, he's averaging striking out nearly 40% of the batters he faces. That is unreal. It's unheard of. It's historic. He is going to smash the rookie record for Ks per nine innings by a rookie. Kerry Wood, see ya. Out of the record books. Welcome in Spencer Strider. What more proof do you need about this young man and what he's capable of? If you're denying it, it's a you problem. It's not a me problem, and it's certainly not a Braves problem. All right. Uh, I want to switch to something that we all couldn't see coming. And I say that sarcastically. But first, a word from our friends at betonline.net. It's the fastest and easiest way to get all of your sports betting information and needs. Find your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Guys, football season is back. NFL season is just one weekend away. I mean, we are right on the precipice here. Of needing this information because they have reviews of every league: the NFL, NCAA, football, major league baseball, NHL, combat sports, esports, even golf. Betonline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in-game betting scores and podcasts. They've got you covered. So you head to Bet Online today, use your mobile device to learn more about the action that's happening today. Betonline where the game starts. And remember, handed out that winner. If you follow me on Twitter, handed out that winner of West Virginia, getting seven and a half last night. In the backyard brawl. In reality, they should have came out and won the uh the entire game, which the money line sprinkle would have been very, very nice. But uh that, that said, a different conversation for later on in the show. All right. Uh the one thing that, yeah, we all could have seen coming, uh, or didn't see coming sarcastically. Boy, Deion Jones yesterday was placed on the uh injured reserve list shoulder. Yeah. Uh Deion Jones is not supposed to be on this team. What are the Falcons doing? Like, I don't understand it. So let me get this straight. If you're still desiring to trade this individual, you're putting him on IR, and now he's got to wait, I think, four weeks before he can even play? Isn't the trade deadline in the NFL by, like, week six or seven? What are we doing here? I don't understand what the issue is with the Falcons and Deion Jones. This is ridiculous. He should have been cut three months ago. Move on. What is this game that you're playing? It's annoying. It's dumb. You've openly ostracized him. You've called him a distraction. You, you, You have no place to put him on the field that you feel comfortable with, according to Dean Peace, at least. Nobody talks about him like he's going to be here long term. What? are you doing? Like This is utterly ridiculous at this point. I just don't understand what the end game here is for Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot. It's a bad investment. You didn't make it, okay? The previous regime made it. Guess what? It's your job to end it. The previous regime made two bad mistakes on restructuring Matt Ryan. It's your job to end it. Don't prolong this anymore. Move on. It is over. You're not going to get any compensation for Deion Jones. So forget about it. Ridiculous game that the Falcons are playing. It is like infuriating at this point. Because we all know how this ends. Guess what? He's not going to be here next year. He's probably not going to be here sooner than that. What are you? Waiting for, I'm off my soapbox, kind of, sort of, not really. Very, very frustrating. Hey, uh, one other quick uh, new bit, new note, news and note, if you will, uh, before we move on here. Uh, if you weren't paying attention yesterday, Donovan Mitchell got traded to the Cavaliers. Yeah, and the only thing, my only response to that was, uh, that's one more team that the Hawks may not finish ahead of in the East. So if you get past Philadelphia, Boston, Milwaukee, and then you add in Miami uh, and Toronto, and now you add Cleveland. So I don't know about you. This feels like playing tournament again. I won't say I told you so, but it feels like playing tournament. All right, Uh, let's move on. Coming up next, uh, the defensive positional spending. Can it relate if you spend in the right spots to being a playoff team I'll tell you about that next right here on a to z on locked on sports atlanta free on youtube and wherever you get your podcast search locked on sports atlanta welcome back to a to z here on locked on sports atlanta free on youtube and wherever you get your podcast you search locked on sports atlanta again we're on twitter at locked on atl i'm at mark Zeno. make sure you check out all the shows here on locked on sports atlanta this is a to z i've hit hard with john chuckery atl day ones of jarvis davis and tanisha batiste our braves postcast after every braves game and of course locked on falcons with Aaron Freeman and locked on Hawks with Brad Rowland. Uh, I'm sure Brad will not like my previous Hawks take from a moment ago, but nonetheless, you go listen to him for all the best uh, Hawks information. And uh, one that you guys know that coming up, uh, we will dive into some picks uh, for the weekend. Three games that I have my eye on, including, yeah, the big one for us here in Georgia as the uh, Bulldogs take on Oregon. We'll get to that game coming up here and a breakdown of it but speaking of breakdowns earlier in the week we looked at the offensive side of the ball uh and positional spending and trying to correlate it to which teams made the playoffs versus which teams didn't uh and where spending money necessarily relates to you making strides in becoming a better team right um teams that spent the most on the offensive line believe it or not Uh, are not likely to be playoff teams. As crazy as that sounds, it's just that it is what it is, Um, but it's one of those deals where, uh, yes, you would think that more of spending money in the offensive line means that you can block well, you can pass block well, you can run the ball well, and, well, ask the New York Jets who spend a ton on their O-line and uh, don't have much to show for it yet at this point in time. So now let's flip over to the defensive side of the ball. Now, Teams that spent the total defense, okay, uh, is the Pittsburgh Steelers. On the defensive side of the ball, they spent $106.7 100 which is, you know, roughly uh, just over half of the entire cap is on the defensive side of the ball. You know, most of the teams are generally in that split, offenses versus defenses, close to 50%. Um, it's, you know, sometimes there's one or two big contracts that that may shift the balance of it, but more often than not, most teams are pretty much down the line. Speaking of line, defensive line, number one team in defensive line spending heading into the 2022 season is the Kansas City Chiefs, which seems almost crazy because of how much they pay their quarterback. But still, um, they have been able to find between the de- defensive line and the quarterback, you know, that's really $95 million of a $205 million cap, how they've managed to put the rest of it together. And oh, by the way, the $30 million of the rest is all in the offensive line. So uh, they were smart. They, they were smart to say, okay, we pay our quarterback, we pay our O-line, and we pay our D-line, win in the trenches, and with good quarterback playing, you do it. So uh, Kansas City spending 55. Let me give you the top five. KC, the Jets, the Colts, the Bengals, and the Eagles. Now, four of those five teams last year were playoff teams. Look at the Niners, the Rams, the Giants, and the Raiders, uh, and Steelers were the next five, and four of those five were playoff teams from last year. So eight of the top 10 teams on the D-line that spent money there. And again, the numbers may have been different heading into last season, but um, the teams that made the playoffs last year clearly saw their defensive line as a priority focus. Uh, now you would wonder where the Falcons are. You would think with Grady Jarrett's contract, that they would be somewhere in the middle of the road, at least they're actually in the bottom one, two, three, four, the bottom, the ninth to the bottom with only 19.3 million. And that says one of two things clearly uh, Grady Jarrett's contract is not that prohibitive, <laughs> um this year against the cap and two they have nobody else that's what that tells you all right linebackers uh and this is a weakness for the falcons the steelers have spent the most on linebackers makes a ton of sense that's where most of their money is uh 49.5 million of the 106 million that they spent nearly half of it is on the linebacker position top five steelers chargers buccaneers vikings and titans uh now only three of those five were playoff teams from last year but the Vikings were right there and the Chargers should have been a playoff team if their coach wasn't a moron. That said, the next five Jaguars, Broncos, Dolphins, Packers, and Patriots. Only two of those five made the playoffs last year. But would it surprise you if four out of those five this year made it? We'll see. Um, and then by the way, uh Atlanta Falcons, they are again, what is that? Ninth from the bottom, tenth from the bottom. Um, when it comes to Linebacker spending this year, and they don't really have a lot of guys. Oh, by the way, um, the average for linebackers uh is let me hit it. My screen just refreshed. The average for linebackers is 20 million, 20.2. Steelers spent 49.5, Falcons spent 19.3. So they're right at the average. What's crazy is that most of the team, I'm sorry, uh the Falcons spent 10.6. So they're they're below the average, looking at the wrong column. Um So they don't have a lot of linebacker of value. Let's go to defensive backs. This is a big one because clearly, again, um, spending on D-backs and defensive backs in the pass game is super critical. Before we get to that, a word from our friends at Coffee AM, the best small batch coffee roaster in America. Drink it every morning, guys. Coffee AM is my go-to. Why? Because it's delicious. It's fresh. Smells great. Tastes great. All that. You're going to get the box in the mail, you're going to open it up, and you're just going to go, oh, and you're going to inhale it all because it smells amazing. That's what you get when you get the freshest coffee around. Why? Because Coffee AM roasts and ships their coffees on the same day or close to it. And furthermore, you get these blends from all across the world, Kenya, South America, Costa Rica, Sumatra, I mean, flavors and, and uh, places you've never even heard of. That's what Coffee AM does. That's why they're the best small batch coffee roasted in America. Organic, fair trade, direct trade, they only work with the best. And, again, their coffees are the freshest. And they're roasted right here in our backyard in Atlanta. So here's what you do. You go to coffeeam.com backslash locked on and check out their full menu of coffees, teas, and gift sets. Again, that's coffeeam.com backslash locked on. Use the coupon code locked on to save 15% off at checkout of your first order of coffees, teas, gift sets, and a whole lot more coffee am the best small batch coffee roaster in america right here in georgia all right let's get to the positional spending on the defensive backs because this one is one that i think you know you can correlate pretty well um and you look at the teams that spent there last year by the way the best pass defenses in the league in order in yards per game buffalo new england chicago the panthers and the browns right? Now, uh, three of those five teams didn't make the playoffs. Interesting, right? Uh, Rounding out the top 10, the 49ers, the Cardinals, the Broncos, the Steelers, and the Packers, okay? Four out of those five were all playoff teams. So six out of the top 10 were playoff teams from last year that had the best pass defenses. Now, again, best pass defense doesn't necessarily mean you have the best secondary. Right. Like there's a lot of things that go into a bad passing game, pressure on the quarterback, you know, the ability to create turnovers, things of that nature. But generally, the idea that you're going to spend a lot in the secondary means that you put a priority on coverage. Top five teams that have spent in the secondary Broncos, Ravens, Jaguars, Bengals and Rams. Okay, now the Ravens likely would have been a playoff team last year and they had an awful pass defense last year. Why? Because of injuries. Next five, Commanders, Chargers, Patriots, Bills, Dolphins. I can look up and down that list and make a case for every single one of those teams to be a playoff team. I think it's a fair case. So at the top 10, the Bills in the top 10, Dolphins around 29, 30 million. Um, the average is 27 million. The Falcons, dead last in positional spending on defensive backs, 15.6 million. Now, again, Part of that is because they have A.J. Terrell um, and Richie Grant, who are both on rookie deals. And everybody else is, you know, these old-school veterans who, you know, don't necessarily have uh, high-dollar high contracts, and there's not a lot of experience there otherwise. So I get why they're spending the lease. Let's see how it works out for them and if it works out for them uh, because of their inability to stop the pass it could be problematic, um, you know, and and cause their defense a ton of problems. So I just thought, again, that was interesting. We did the offense, we did the defense, and it was just a good way to sort of get a barometer out there and see what uh, teams are doing from a salary cap standpoint and how the percentage of the caps tie into uh, what areas they're going to be good and if they can turn that into playoff success. All right, coming up next, we'll hand out shovels of wisdom as well. Three college games to keep your eyes on this weekend. That's next, right here on A to Z, Unlocked on, on Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked on Sports Atlanta. Final segment of A to Z here on this Labor Day Friday. Appreciate you guys tuning in and checking out all the shows here on the Locked on Sports Atlanta Network. Again, at Locked on ATL on Twitter, at Mark Zeno. Subscribe to that YouTube channel, guys. 3,000 subscribers in just a few months. You're all amazing. We appreciate the love and support. Let's keep it rolling right now. Let's do a shovel of wisdom. Brace yourselves, because it's time for the shovel of wisdom. Yeah, I deserve a shovel of wisdom. That little stall dog there. All right, you know how we do it every day. Like to whack somebody upside the head for doing it. Saying something stupid, you can do so on my Twitter account at Mark Zino, M A R K Z I N O. Use the hashtag Shovel of Wisdom. And today my shovel goes to Brett Favre. <laughs> Having trouble technologically today, boys. Uh, all right, Brett Favre. Um, it's generally never a good idea to take money for things you didn't do. If you agree to perform a service, you should do the service and then get paid for it. Brett Favre is in a legal uh, entanglement, as they say. Uh, Apparently, he took money from the state of Mississippi. In fact, Mississippi welfare money, uh, $1.1 million in federal welfare funds for alleged money for nothing speaking engagements. Um, Yeah, so he was told he was gonna get paid for a speaking engagement, never did the speaking engagement, and got paid anyway. Now, Far says he eventually paid the money back, and even though he insisted he did nothing wrong, he was sued for interest on the money he received. Now, Far hasn't been accused of any crime, but he did get questioned by the FBI, which always is an issue. Again, don't take money for things you didn't do if you agree to take money for things that you were supposed to do. You oh, know, by the way, I've learned this, and I can say this with a, a fair amount of certainty, um, Whenever it's government money and it's given to you erroneously, they get it back, like all of it, always, with penalties and everything else. Like that is the government's way. So if you took money from somebody and uh, yeah, yeah, you didn't, you didn't pay it, or you didn't, you know, do what you were supposed to do for it, well, guess what? The government's coming back for their money. I promise you, they are coming back for their money, like, all of them, trust me. Okay, and I don't say that again because I did anything wrong, by the way. I'm just saying that because I've dealt with the military and the VA, when they give you money erroneously, they come back and they get it very, very quickly. Like, hey, yeah, that's not yours, that's ours, we'll take it, thank you. Okay, speaking of taking money, um, that's what we did last night on West Virginia, plus seven and a half, but we have three big college games to get to, that I have my eyes on this weekend. Um, And these are the games that uh, I have handicapped for a couple of different uh, sports gambling websites. Um, And by the way, tonight I'm taking Illinois plus three on the road against against Indiana, who has yet to tell anybody who their starting quarterback is. Um, Illinois dominated in their win over Wyoming. uh, And they actually look like they're going to get a decent quarterback this year with Tommy DeVito. Hey, oh, yo, yo, Tommy, yo, Tommy D. Um, but Chase Brown is insane. The running back for Illinois rush for 151 yards, two touchdowns. So I do like Illinois tonight getting the points. But three games over the weekend. And I'll start with my well, I'll start with my two best. Okay. Arkansas laying six and a half against the uh the Cincinnati Bearcats. Okay, here's the deal, folks. Um this is just a complete mismatch physically there is absolutely no reason to believe that cincinnati can keep up with arkansas uh first of all cincinnati has lost a ton uh most notably their quarterback and a whole bunch of guys to the nfl i think they lost 12 draft picks to the nfl last year so desmond Ritter obviously gone um, the razorbacks returned kj jefferson uh they returned eight starters on offense uh this is a team that is going to physically abuse Cincinnati for four quarters. The Arkansas offensive line has an average weight of 316 pounds. Cincinnati D-line weighs 271. Think there will be some holes open for them? Yeah, I do. And, oh, by the way, the Bearcats offensive line averages 309 pounds. Arkansas's D-line, 309 pounds. Like, the, the, the decided physical advantage they'll be able to take over. And even though Traylon Burks has gone in the NFL – AJ Jefferson is one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in the country. Uh, if he can't find guys open, we'll take off with his legs. Uh, I expect this game to be the same level of dominance that we saw from Alabama against Cincinnati last year. I think it's that level of mismatch physically between these two teams. One of my favorite games of this weekend is uh the Utes, the Utah Utes that are laying two and a half down in the swamp in Gainesville. I've heard so many people say, "Oh, you know how hard it is to win in the swamp. You know how hard it is winning Gainesville." Dear Lord, Florida is not going to be good this year, folks. They are at best six and six, maybe seven and five if they get lucky. Uh, but that is that is a team in a state of transition. Billy Napier takes over. Uh, Anthony Richardson is not the answer at quarterback, at least not yet. I haven't seen anything to make me believe it. He threw just sixty-four passes last year, six touchdowns, five interceptions. That's not good. On the flip side, Utah might have a Heisman candidate on their hands in Cameron Rising, Cameron Rising, the quarterback uh, of Utah. He, he's going to have a phenomenal year. Again, this is the same offense. They returned seven starters. Um, I'm sorry, eight starters on offense for Utah. But this is the same offense that dropped 45 on Ohio State in the Rose Bowl last year, one of the most exciting games you have seen in a while. They also average running 69 plays per game on offense. That's insane. They've got the best running back in the country possibly in Davion Thomas. He scored 21 touchdowns last year. Look, Utah is just better than Florida on both sides of the ball. I know that Napier is going to try to make Florida more physical and and try to run the ball, but this is a mismatch on more than just paper. Utah is a better team. And I get the fact that they uh, have to go to Florida and win in a very tough place. And I'm not saying the Swamp isn't a tough place to win. What I am saying is, is that this is a complete mismatch. And Utah is by far a better team. And they should win this thing handled. Only a two-and-a-half-point spread? Woo! Man, feels like a gift to me. Feels like a gift. And then finally, Georgia, Oregon, 330, ABC, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, just the way we like it on uh, opening college football weekend, or at least week one. Uh, the Chick-fil-A kickoff classic at the Benz. Obviously, it's like a de facto home game for Georgia. I would expect to see some yellow and green Oregon fans running around there. Um, George is reloaded at running back, Kendall Bolton, Katie McIntosh. And I don't think their passing attack should be underestimated. Uh, Brock Powers obviously is going to be the primary target for Stetson Bennett. But still, UGA averaged 36 rushes per game last year in just 26 passes. I'm not saying that that's something that can't be flipped in any particular game. But Kirby Smart has a history of being super balanced and conservative in week one games. Last year against Clemson, he ran 31 times and passed 30. 2020, it was a 47-42 pass run split. And in 2019, he ran 40 times to 23 passes. I mean, this is what he does in the beginning of the year. He's not going to back away from the run to throw the football all over the field. He's not going to allow his team to beat himself. He's going to face Bo Nix, a guy who's familiar with him from his time at Auburn, And last year, Knicks threw for 217 yards in a game that was just 17-3 to at halftime against Georgia. So uh, Dan Lanning now taking over, former assistant for UGA. I don't think he'll get pushed around as much as we would expect. Um, Oregon's still got one of the better offensive lines in the country. He should be able to open up some holes with Byron Caldwell, the future running back in the offense now. Uh, But Kirby Smart's not going to run it up against his former assistant. The only way... Georgia covers this thing, in my opinion, is if they score 28 in the first half. If they get up to a 24-0 lead, then yeah. There's a good chance that they may trade touchdowns in the second half, and that's about it. Uh, and you get a a 31 to 10 kind of final. Um, and I think Oregon keeps this close. I think it goes under, and I think Oregon keeps it close. So uh I I, you know. I think Georgia wins the game. I don't think they're in danger of losing the game in any size, way, shape, or form, but I think that they keep it close. So Georgia win, Oregon to cover 17 and a half, and the number says it when you get 17 and a half. 34-17 final, you're a winner with Oregon, and Georgia still wins the game. All right, that'll do it for us here on this Friday, September 2nd before Labor Day. Uh, No show on Monday. Obviously, we're off for the holiday. I want you guys to have a long, wonderful, safe holiday weekend. Enjoy all the football. We'll be back here on Monday or Tuesday, rather, to break it all down in the next edition of A to Z. You guys have a wonderful weekend. Don't take the any crap, from anybody. See you.